Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 25. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 25. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you and your sons and your grandsons all the days of your life, and that you, your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the shame of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he had swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God and for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your word this morning.
with a desire in our hearts to grow stronger in this wonderful life you have given us. Ezekiel was told to prophesy to some dead bones. He said, and as I was prophesying, there was a sound, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. This was a picture to Ezekiel of the power of your word, O Lord, to bring to life that which is dead. You have given us life, even though we were dead. Open our hearts, open them this morning, and build us up through your word so our life will bring glory and honor to you in all we do. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I have spent a lot of time lately thinking about how to build a foundation in God's people. A foundation that will allow them to grow and mature. That will help them to to become a people that can stand in the face of, of the troubles of this life and be seen as overcomers. The thing I continue to come back to is that for a people to be successful as followers of Jesus Christ, they must first and foremost understand what God is saying to them. How can they know God's revelation to them? The answer is simple. They must know how God speaks to his people. They must understand his revelation. They must take hold of that revelation and hide its wisdom in their hearts. They must accept it as God's word and not waver in their allegiance to his principles. This sounds easy. But if there's one thing that I have learned over the last 30 years that is anything but easy for most people. In fact, it is impossible without the help of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. I want to take God's word. I want to show how the Bible as God's word is the greatest foundation for life that you can ever imagine. There is absolutely no way any man, woman, or child can live this life and can be at peace with God without the word of God being firmly established as the foundation of their belief system. I've told you many times, Christianity is a religion of the ear, not the eye. Therefore, you should know how important the hearing of God's word really is. The Israelites coming out of Egypt saw many great miracles, yet they did not find the peace they needed with God. The only way you can find that peace is when you open your ears and hear the truth about God and about man as it is given in the word of God. God has delivered to you a wonderful revelation concerning your life, concerning him as the creator. He lays out the truths that govern all relationships and calls you to hear and believe them. You must begin your life as one of his children, firmly fixed on the word of God. There is no other starting point to knowing God and his great plan for his people than the Bible. He made this clear to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, 
that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you and your sons and your grandsons all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. The Bible is the most important book that has ever been written. Why? Because it lays out for you an understanding of life. If you study the Bible and learn from its pages, you can avoid many of the terrible mistakes of life. You cannot be deceived. You cannot be trapped in a spiritual lie. You cannot be made a fool of when it comes to the most important issues of life. But if you do not allow the word of God to be the foundation of your life, then you become open to every scheme man can imagine. Moses explains in Deuteronomy 6.3, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. It is the truth found in God's word that offers hope to a lost and dying world. It's the commands of the law that set the path for a life of joy and peace with the creator of all things. Now, it's my desire to open for you an understanding of the importance of God's word. It's a real tragedy that this even is necessary. Far too many churches these days have abandoned the truth of God's word. They prefer to use drama, dance, and other forms of entertainment to make people feel good. They would rather do that than make them reflect on their own actions and see the need of a constant diet of truth to keep their hearts on course. What we shall do this morning is look at several passages that lay out a picture of what God intended his word to accomplish in this world. First, we shall find the purpose of the word as it's given in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 12. This is a very important passage. It shows the idea of religion as a religion of the ear and lays out what we're to do with what we hear. Second, we will listen to the prophet as he shows man's reaction to this great word from God. Man does not care for God nor his ways. In the garden... Adam rejected the counsel of God for his own way, setting the revelation of God up as his enemy. Third, as we, we shall let David, as the great psalmist, tell us what the place of the word of God holds in this world. It's my desire that you go away this morning with a deeper and a more profound picture of God's word and the place it should play in your heart. You cannot be a Christian that makes a difference in this world, in the lives of those around you, unless you know this word from God. Why has God given us his written word? He could have placed in our hearts everything we needed to know about him. In fact, the scriptures do tell us he wrote his word on our hearts. If that's so, why do we need the written word? When the confession talks of his writing his word on our hearts, it means he has given us the knowledge of good and evil. Men know instinctively that some things are right and some things wrong. 
They know these things because God has placed that understanding in their hearts. But that is a very limited knowledge. It does not plumb the depths of good and evil. You need the written word of God to show you the depths of God's character. It's important to recognize that this written word is the perfect reflection of the character of God. God is perfect in his holiness and all of his attributes. He gives his word that men might know him and be able to emulate him in their actions. It is through his word that you can grow in spiritual maturity. It's through his word you can begin to treat others in a way that brings honor to God. In the passage we read this morning, God speaks to the place and purpose of his word. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is what God is calling you to do. He is calling you to stop, to stop and listen to his word. He says, hear all you who believe. Hear the word of God and place your hope in its message and in no other. Christianity is a religion of the ear. It never called you to see and believe. It called you to hear and believe. Why? Because faith is resonant only in hearing. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith requires that you hear. How can you believe in something you have never heard? Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You can't. Faith is contained in the hearing of God's word. Open your ears and listen to what this word says. Why does he say this is so important? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You serve the one and only true and living God. The one who made the heavens and the earth. He alone controls the affairs of men and nations. Put this together with the admonition to hear, and you should be able to see the importance of hearing and believing, which is faith. The more you hear the word, the stronger your faith grows. He continues in verses 6 through 9. And these words which I commanded you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. They shall write them, you shall write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. He wants to make sure that you know this word he gives you is all-inclusive. This book contains, doesn't contain the Word of God. Please understand that. You're not looking at the Bible and saying that contains the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Every command in it has a purpose for your life. Therefore, hide it in your heart. You must look to it as the only source of wisdom you have. Put God's Word in your heart. Use it as your guide to a life with God. 
The only place you can learn of God and of his character is in this word. That's why he begins calling you to hear, but it goes much deeper than just hearing. You must also act on what you hear. Take this message of hope. Let it guide you in your life. What are you to do with all of these things you hear? The first thing he says you should do is take these things and impress them on your children. Isn't that interesting? He wants you to start with your children. Why would he start with this? Because the commission that was given to the believers is to make disciples. Go and make disciples. Your children should become your first and your greatest disciples. If you don't prepare the next generation to know and follow God, the world will be lost. He goes on to tell you how to do this. Talk to them about these things you learn from God's word. Do it when you're at home. Do it when you're out on the road. Do it when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, as you put them to bed and get them up in the morning, make God's word a part of their everyday lives. In doing this, you're showing them the importance of believing in God. When you do something wrong, ask their forgiveness. Parents, you need to, need to hear this. This is so important. Ask their forgiveness when you do something wrong around them. Explain why it was wrong using God's word. Show them how important you see God's word and it will become important to them. He goes on. You shall write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. The Israelites totally misunderstood this. I think this is an easy thing for us to misunderstand. They literally made little cases to hold the scripture. What did they do with them? They tied them on their hands, on the back of their hands, and on their foreheads. What God meant by this was to make your hands witnesses of your heart. Make your head and the thoughts that come out of your head witnesses of what you believe. Live your life by what you hear from God's word. Now you know it's a great tragedy, but people are still doing this today. They put a cross around their neck. Then when they get mad at someone, the vial that comes out of their mouth betrays what that cross stands for. It makes them look like a hypocrite. It makes them, them alive to what they are saying with the scripture. It certainly doesn't provide a good witness. They put a Christian bumper sticker on their car. And then they go out and they pass everything on the road. Again, that does not speak to their faith. Because God says we should obey the laws of the land. If you want to be a good witness, then the acts of your hands and must speak to the, that witness. The thoughts that come out of your heart must undergird that witness. I'm not saying you can't wear a cross. I'm not saying you can't have a bumper sticker on your car. But your actions must not make you appear to be hypocritical. God continues with these words. You shall write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. Again, 
This is not to be taken literally. There's nothing wrong with you having a plaque in your house or anything like that. He means, though, make your house a place, a place where the love of God stands out and shows itself. When a man passes through the gate of your yard, he knows he has come into a holy place where God is honored and his word followed. This is being a real witness of God's grace and mercy. In verses 10 through 12, God shows his blessing that is coming on them for their faithfulness to him. Look at verses 10 through 12. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. He gave the Israelites a land. He gave them a land full of houses and wells already ready for them to take possession of. He blessed them greatly. And then he warns them strongly. This warning applies to all believers. You were delivered from a life of sin and given a new life of hope. What you must not forget is where you came from and how you came to the place you are today. It was by God's grace and by God's grace alone. He gets all of the credit. Don't try to take any of it for yourself. What you must not forget is that you needed him. He didn't need you. It was by grace that you received everything that you got. The way to stay on track is to stay in God's word. To let it permeate your life and to guide you in everything you do. This this is why God gave it. It was to be the standard for you living for God. What's the reaction of the unsaved to God's word? We said the purpose of God's word is to show how to live this life. This is a very noble purpose. It would make good sense for anyone that hears its purpose to take up God's word and learn how to live as God created them to live. But you don't have to be a genius to see that most men don't do this. To the average lost soul, the world of God is nothing short of foolishness. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.18 said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They don't want to hear that message. It's the last thing they want to hear. They want to believe in themselves. Not in some God they can't see. The prophet understood this. In Jeremiah 6, 10a, reading from the NIV, says, To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? The heart of the natural man is dead spiritually. He has no spiritual life. Therefore, he can understand nothing spiritual. This word of God is all about the spiritual life that emanates from God. Spiritual life is true life. This life we live in these decaying bodies is nothing. 
It is only when you have the true life of the Spirit of God in your heart that you will live forever in the joy and peace of your Creator. This is the message of God's Word. The Word of God lays out this important knowledge. Man is a sinner lost and without hope in and of himself. He can't do anything on his own in order to please God. But he was created. He was created to serve God, as the Catechism says, to glorify and enjoy him. Yet, because of his sin, he can do none of this. The Bible lays out man's need for a Savior, for one who can do for him those things God requires that he cannot do for himself. What did God require? He required a perfect life. He required an atoning death in place of that perfect life. He required a victory over the enemies that caused this imperfection. If you can't live the perfect life, and you cannot, how can you ever offer a sacrifice that is perfect? You can't. If you can't live the perfect life or offer the perfect sacrifice, then tell me, what weapons do you possess to let you win a victory over the forces enslaving you? You have nothing, absolutely nothing with which to fight with against this one who enslaves you. This is the message of Scripture. You are a sinner lost and without hope. Jeremiah 6.10b, the NIV again, says of men, their ears are closed so they cannot hear. They can't hear. Or you could say they will not hear. They don't want to hear. They can't hear and they will not hear. God created man to serve him. He gave man a commission. He was to go into the world and work to earn his living. He was to take a wife and populate the world with men. He was to do these things as he worshipped his creator. But man thought he saw a better way to live his life than the one God gave him. So he rebelled against God. And in his rebellion, he lost his right and privilege of fellowship with God. The warning was that if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. The moment Adam ate of the fruit of that tree, he died spiritually. He was cut off from his God, and he was cast out of the garden. God, being a merciful and gracious God, was not going to allow all of his creation to be lost. He wrote down in the Bible the thoughts of his heart and gave them to man. Isn't that a wonderful thought? God has given us the thoughts of his heart. He has laid them out for us. He outlined the way in which man could be restored to his place beside God. But to the unregenerate man, all of this seemed to be foolishness. Jeremiah 6.10, in NIV again, says, The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Why would this be the case? The Bible offers such a vision of hope. Why can't men see it? They can't see it because they can't see past the end of their own noses. The message of God's word is so much bigger than you. Men without the spirit of God don't want to see anything but themselves. Here's where you need to take an account of your own life. Do you want a life that's bigger than your own petty issues?
You cannot allow the word and its call to a greater life of holiness offend you. This is where Paul says you must die to self and live for Christ. Commit your ways to God's word and stand fast on its wisdom. I want to ask you another question. But it sounds a little bit redundant in the light of what we've already said. I want to ask, what is the place of the word in this world? I think this is a sound question. It's something you need to know and you need to understand. The place and the purpose are two different aspects, but they are very, very strongly connected. The purpose of the Bible was to be the standard for man to live by. The place deals with where God's word receives its power and authority. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. This shows the word is divine and that it comes from God. The psalmist says it is eternal. It's just like God in that it never changes. God stands behind his word. We have talked about the fact God is immutable, unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does not change, and because his word is eternal, it doesn't change either. You can trust that it will always give you good, solid advice that will lead you in the way of the truth. Therefore, you come to it knowing, as the psalmist says, your word is settled in heaven. You can trust his message. The prophet echoes this in Isaiah 40, verse 8, when he declares, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Everything in this world changes. You can't name me one thing of this world that doesn't change. But there is one thing that comes to you from heaven that never changes, and that is this wonderful word of God. You can count on it. This word comes to you directly from God's heart. It's his declaration of himself. It tells us who God is. It's the revelation that opens heaven so you can come in. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. This tells you that when men throw off the word of God, when they refuse to hear it, restraint is lost and the world is plunged into utter chaos. Only the man, only the man who keeps the law can stand when judgment day comes. Not because he made himself perfect, but because he acknowledged his own helplessness and turned to God through the word to provide him strength and guidance. It is only those who come believing in God's word and the message of hope it brings that shows themselves to be firm in this life. It's the place of this word to give strength and courage to all who believe. The Apostle Paul understood this. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us you welcomed it not as the word of men but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. 
if you want a change in your life, and I think every one of us need changes in our lives, but if you want a change in your life, if you desire to be close to God, if you recognize the need to be forgiven, then you must come as those Paul speaks of and come with a great sense of honor for this wonderful message of hope given in the Holy Scripture. You need to see that when you read this word, when you begin hiding it in your heart, it will make a difference in your life. What is it going to do for you? It is going to help you stand fast in your faith. It's going to give you courage to say to anyone who crosses your path, I believe and trust in God alone. It will give you a light. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is the place of the word. It comes from heaven as an eternal guide. Can you stand fast in this world and trust it will not let you down? Can you put your hope and trust in this world and know it's going to succeed no matter what? You can stand in God's word and you can trust in it. Jesus made this promise concerning the word in Matthew 5.18. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is all finished. This revelation given to mankind from the heart of God is eternal. It will never stop giving guidance. It will give its light to men in every generation. All you have to do is place your trust in the word, which is the representation of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the word in flesh. In other words, he was the perfect representation of God. Hebrews 1, 2, using the NIV again, speaks of Jesus as saying, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The place of this word is in your heart. It came to you from heaven. It opened heaven's gate so you could come in. It guides you through this life to ensure you will have a place with God if you will accept its message and believe on it with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. I believe that to be a good Christian and be recognized as a true believer, a person must be growing in a right understanding of God's word, of what its purpose is, of the reaction of unregenerate men to it, and of its place in the lives of all who believe. I would ask you this morning to stop, consider, consider God's word. What do you believe about it? How are you using it in your life? The first message it holds for everyone is that you are a sinner in rebellion against God. But it doesn't stop there. It also shows you how God has made a way in which you can be forgiven, in which you can be restored to a place of honor with him. But to know any of this, you have to take up the word and read it. You have to give it a place of importance in your life. How do you do this? Deuteronomy 6, verses 24 and 25. 
And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now I call on each one of you this morning to begin right now putting God's word as a top priority in your life. Commit yourself to do exactly what God called you to do in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your strength. Open your heart to the words of your Lord and Savior. Take up the scripture of God as your guide and follow it to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for it is in him alone that eternal life can be yours, and it is only in God's word you can learn of him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne with excitement in our hearts because you've given us your word. You have called us to hear that you are our God and that you are one. You have called us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. You've called us to teach our children and others about you and this wonderful plan of salvation you provide through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a gift you have given us. Now, Father, help us stay true to your word and listen to its wisdom. We thank you in Christ's name for your love and grace. Amen.